So how do we start this morning? The Lord be with you and also with you. That is how for thousands of years the church has started worship. That's how we, that's how we begin. But I'm going to give you sort of a different, slightly different um, response. So another way that this is said and entered into is the Lord be with you. And then you would respond, and with your spirit. Let me try that. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. And then we would say, let us worship God and we enter in. There's a reason we use the word enter. There's a reason the choir proceeds in as an entrance. Um, there's, a, there's a point to that. It's not just, well, they got to get up there somehow. No, they, they, they enter. We enter together. And it's a way of marking the beginning of worship. Um, so I want to read you just a short quote from a sermon preached a long time ago that I hope will open up to you something more of that beginning. It happens like that, doesn't it? You've said it so many times, you probably don't even pay attention to it. You're still fumbling around or trying to get settled into your seat. The Lord be with you and also with you. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. But man, there's a whole lot going on right there. So listen, listen to these words from a guy named Epiphanes. This is a sermon that he preached. He's speaking, I'm going to orient you to it, he's speaking about the Lord's baptism, about Christ with us, and he's speaking specifically, and, and I may be wrong about this, but I think a Sunday school class this morning talked about his descent to the dead, his descent, as we say in the creed, to hell. Is that this morning? All right, here we go. Get ready. All right. So he descends, as we say in the creed, to, to Hades, to the place of the dead. And he's telling us what's going on there. As mentioned in Ephesians, as mentioned in Peter. And he speaks of Christ as the second Adam. Right? The Bible does this. Paul does this. So the first Adam sinned and fell and brought sin and death into the world. Yes? The second Adam um, lived faithfully and sinlessly and so brings righteousness and everlasting life and resurrection to the, to, uh, to the kingdom uh, and to the world. So here's, here's the quote. It says, Through the Lord's baptism... The second Adam, Jesus, descended to the lower parts of the earth. That's Ephesians 4. In order to seek the first Adam, lying there in captivity, trapped by death, held captive. So he descends. And then to also ascend with, with him up as far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So here's the quote. Adam lying in captivity, spoke thus, I hear footsteps approaching. And as he spoke, the Lord entered, carrying in his right hand the victorious weapon of the cross. Filled with awe, Adam shouted to those in captivity, May the Lord be with you all! And Christ answered, saying, and with your spirit. Rise up from the dead. I am your God, and for your sake I have become your son. God made Adam, the first one. So Adam is God's son. But now, God has become incarnate within the lineage of Adam and becomes his son. Do you see the paradox? 
Rise up from the dead. I am your God, and for your sake I have become your son. Rise up, let us depart from here, for you are in me, and I am in you. We both are one indivisible person. Rise up, all of you, and let us depart from the realm of pain to that of joy, the kingdom, which has been prepared for you from the beginning for you all. That's what we say when we start worship. We hear footsteps. Maybe it's the choir walking in. But it's actually Christ here in our midst. And with all we say, the Lord is present here with us. The Lord be with you. And we say, and with your spirit. And Christ calls us right here in the midst of worship to depart the place of the dead, depart from the place of our captivity, and to join Him in the kingdom. Like we said last week, worship includes everything. The whole universe is included in worship. Right? So why do we attend to the kingdom? Um, Well, when Jesus was incarnate, he was baptized. That's what the sermon referred to, his baptism. And then his uh, being brought up out of the waters. Um. He, began, he went out and was tempted first by the devil, didn't succumb. And then he went out and began to preach. And there's a summary passage that tells us what the content of his preaching was. And if you've been through the discipleship class, you should know this. It's the, it's the learning circle. Does anyone know? What does Jesus say? I hear somebody. Repent and believe the good news of the gospel for the what is at hand? The kingdom. Repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. And as we watch Jesus in his ministry, we see that the kingdom indeed is present in him, with him, around him. He's transforming the world. He's touching people. They're being healed. Um, He's uh, allowing the lame to walk and the blind to see and the deaf to hear. He's going throughout all the region. We talked about Galilee as the land of miracles. We're seeing it before ours, the kingdom of God coming in this world and within time. John, who baptized him, um, sent word to Jesus at a certain point. And he said to him, hey, are, are you really the Messiah? Are you really the one to come? And Jesus responded and said, go tell John that the blind see and the lame walk. Why did he say that? Because Isaiah prophesied that when the Messiah comes, the blind will see and the lame will walk. This is what the kingdom looks like. Um, the domain of the king. The world is now becoming the place where God rules. Our passage this morning is again a depiction of Jesus bringing the kingdom with him into the midst of the world. And we see him doing two things. Both healing someone from illness and also raising the dead. And so as we read this, I want you to keep in mind just kind of all these themes. Let them just kind of run through you. Christ, the second Adam. Christ who descends to us to take us back up with Him. Christ who comes and conquers sin and death and illness and disease and brings the kingdom with His presence. Um, We're going to read from Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 to 26. I want you to listen carefully and listen well. This too is the word of the Lord. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, 
my daughter has just died. But come and lay your hand upon her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with the disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and reached out and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I but touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her said, take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And instantly, the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and crowd making a commotion, he said, Go away, for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put, aside, been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand. And she arose. And the report of this went throughout all the district. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this is a story, this account is a story inside a story. You know, sometimes uh, Lily will get in between us and we'll give a hug and we make a Lily sandwich. You know? So this is what this is. This is a Jesus sandwich right here. It's a, a sandwich of miracles. And in the first story, what happens? What do we see? Jesus has been teaching. This is um, near Galilee, in Galilee, near the sea. A ruler comes in. In another gospel account, we learn his name is Jairus. Jairus comes in, a ruler in the synagogue. He comes in, and what does he do? He gets on his knees, and he says, Who has died? My daughter. I have daughters. That's not um, an impersonal word, is it? My daughter has died. But come and lay your hand upon her, and she will live. Man, it's a statement of faith, isn't it? My daughter has just died. You imagine if you're... Your daughter has just died that you would leave? Would you leave? All the people have come outside the house. Certainly they've been praying for sure. They brought food. They're playing songs. They're lamenting. They're, they're in tears. Your daughter dies and now dad leaves. He left and he came to Jesus I mean, this is a statement of faith. Lay your hand upon her and she will live. And Jesus is surrounded by people. He's been teaching. His disciples are there. Can you imagine this scene? This man coming in, interrupting and asking for resurrection? Asking for one who is dead to be raised to life? Can you not imagine that everyone is just sitting there like, what's going to happen? Yesterday, um, we went to a campsite where Leslie's parents were camping for the weekend, and they have a dog named Ellie. And when Ellie gets nervous, her eyes bug out. 
They <laughs> get really big. So I imagine everybody sitting there like Ellie, like, you know, eyes bugging. What's going to happen? What's he going to do? And it says he arose. That's not an accidental word either, is it? Daughter is dead. Will you go lay your hand upon her that she might live? He rose and went with him and with the disciples. So that's setting the stage for the first story, but immediately we're interrupted. What happens? A woman, just like Jairus came in faith, also comes in faith. She's had a discharge of blood for 12 years. We don't know exactly what the illness is, but in that day and time and culture, if you were bleeding, you were ceremonially unclean. Um, it didn't have so much to do with contamination of disease as it did with blood, which is understood to be the life of a person. And if this is kind of spread around, then you can't take part in society. You can't take part in, um, uh, in the events of your town or place or city, even your family. Um, she has tried, we learn in another account of the same story, she has spent everything she has. She's exhausted everything and... She comes now to Jesus to be healed. Um, she's, got, she's got nothing left. She's at the end of a rope, and she comes and draws near to Jesus. And you can imagine this crowd as it moves and this woman coming up. Um, I can imagine it presently because when I was in Israel a few weeks ago, we went to Magdala. It's the home of Mary Magdalene, right? And it's on the Sea of Galilee. And we went downstairs in this church. And in the basement, which has wind, it's not just like a basement, but in the downstairs, you have windows that look out over the Sea of Galilee. And in the basement, there is a Roman road. Um, it's about the size of uh, the, the front chancel here, uh, from the front pew to the back. And it dates to the time of Jesus. And as we walked in to go downstairs to look at this road, we passed the synagogue that was in Magdala. And in the New Testament, it says that Jesus went throughout the whole region teaching and preaching in their synagogues. And we could see the mosaic that was the floor of the synagogue. We knew it was a Roman one, meaning the time of Jesus, because in the corners, they have a swastika. Of course, you know, Nazi Germany took up that symbol, but this was how uh, on the corners, at the boundary of Roman mosaics, that's just how they did it. And so they dated certainly the time of Jesus. Jesus probably taught right there. So we walk past the synagogue. We go downstairs to the road that would have been passing along as he was called from this place to go to the home of Jairus. Someplace along the way, this woman comes up and reaches out her hand. And in this space, there's, there's, a, there's a, a mosaic, not a mosaic, but there's a, there's a painting, like a fresco, that fits the whole size of the wall. And you see feet, and you see a woman's hand reaching out in between the feet to touch. Touch the what? The, yeah, yeah, I'm hearing a little bit of it. Garment, but hem of the garment, the, the fringe of the garment. Reach out to touch the fringe of his garment. It's important. Um, this word fringe is, is the word kanaf. The word kanaf in Hebrew. Um, it means something like the edge or the border. But it took on a specific meaning because, and we don't know exactly what Jesus looked like, right? But we know what he dressed like because he was an Israelite. 
a faithful one. So he would have had on the corners of his garments a fringe, a tassel. Anybody remember where this instruction was first laid out in Scripture? That the people of Israel ought to have this fringe on the corners of their garments. So in Numbers, um, as the spies go into the land, they're making their exodus journey, so maybe we'll get to this in a little while, eventually, who knows. But we, we make their way in, they spy out the land, they say they're giants there, this is, they're too much for us, we can't overcome them, they come back, but, but Caleb says, no, we can go in, the Lord has promised it to us. And then they have to wander in the wilderness for 40 years because they did not go in faith. Remember that part? Well, after God says you're going to wander for 40 years, he also gives them some instructions. And among those is, on the corner of your garments, you should have this tassel. I was also in Engedi. Remember, it's that out in the wilderness, and there are these caves where David fled from Saul. And Saul goes into the, to the cave as he's out trying to murder David and find him. And it's bright outside. It's in the desert. And he goes in the cave and he can't see. And he uses the bathroom. And that is a Bible story. He goes in to use the bathroom. And while he's there, David's in the back of the cave. And unbeknownst to Saul, he cuts off the corner of his kanaf. He didn't just like gash his, his robe. He took the kanaf. He took the fringe. And so when they go back out and they get far enough away, he says, yeah, Saul, I'm not trying to kill you. See, I could have done it. It's the kanaf, it's the fringe, it's the corner. The woman reaches out to touch the fringe of his garment. I got one this morning. You want to see it? Yeah, see, I do. I, do. I brought it with me. Um, <clears throat> Jay, who is Jewish uh, and, and also a Christian, asked me to get a tali, a prayer shawl, while I was there, for him. And I did, and I also brought another one back. And so Jay said, hey, could I wear that? in church, and I said, absolutely, Jay, go for it. And um, so you might see Jay with this on. It's a prayer shawl. Use it to pray. Um, here's the corners. And so on the, have you ever seen a Jewish person with one of these, you know, they'll have a shirt that come, hangs down into the corners? Yeah, I mean, this, this is why they do that. Um, and so at the top, this is a Christian one. And um, um, I won't read the whole thing, but at the top it says, Baruch Atah, Eloheinu, Malak, Aholam, Asher, Malah, At Kol. And continues, but basically it says, uh, Blessed art thou, um, O Lord our God. So Elohim is God, you've heard that name. So Eloheinu is our God. And uh, Malak's a ruler or king of the universe. And it says something about coming with righteousness um, in his wings. Now, if you go to Malachi chapter 4, where's Malachi in the Old Testament? I'll make it easy. Is it the first book or the last book in the Old Testament? Okay, all right, okay. <clears throat> it's the last book in the Old Testament. You know how many chapters it has? Four chapters. The last chapter in the last book of the Old Testament speaks of the coming of the Messiah. And it says, On that day he shall come with healing. The Son of Righteousness shall arise and shine upon you, and he will come with healing in his wings. Now, if you look at that word, etymologically, if you work through it, 
In the center, I mean, it, it means something like a wing or the edge of the wing or a border or a, or a fringe. In, in the middle of that word is the word kanaf. That's the same root word. He will come with healing in his kanaf. So this wasn't just a last-ditch desperate attempt by this woman to be healed. In reaching out to touch the kanaf, she was saying, I believe you're the Messiah. I believe you're the one who brings the kingdom. And I'm reaching just to, if I only touch the corner, if I only touch the fringe, I'll be healed. Why? Because she knew her scripture. She knew that the last book of the Bible says he'll come with healing in his wings. And so she reaches out to touch the, the wing, the edge, the border, the kanaf. It's pretty cool, isn't it? But here's something else. Um, so I don't know if you can see this or not. But there's some knots down here. Five of them. Five knots. Um, red and blue thread. There's all kinds of symbolism, but I'm just, I'll just share this. So, so the five knots stand for the five books of the Torah, the law. What's the, what are the five books of the Torah? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. First five books, five knots. The space in between, so there's five knots, there's four spaces in between right there. And we talked about this a few weeks ago. Burning bush, God reveals the divine name to Moses. What does he say? I am, I am who I am. I will be who I will be. Um, I give being to whom I give being. It's a, it's a sort of a broad term. If you read the top in Hebrew, there are no vowels. They're just consonants. And the vowels are the points and the dashes and so on. Um, the name Yahweh has four consonants. Y-H-W-H, you've seen that written. Four spaces. Y-H-W-H, the symbol is for the divine name. So here we have word, the word of God. And here we have the divine name. And when you see people praying with these, um, you know, they'll, they'll sometimes wrap them around themselves. Um, so they'll be wrapped in the name and in the word of God, but they will also, I'm having a time with this, they'll also put them over their heads to remind themselves that God's word and God's name is above them, that they are not above God or the word. It's a, it's a physical way to do that. So when this woman came to Jesus and reached to touch the fringe of his garment, when she came to meet the one who had healing in his wings, who brought healing in his kanaf. She was reaching out to touch the word of God, the word incarnate. She was touching at, reaching out to touch the one who, who bears the divine name in our midst. He was taking the name Jesus, which means God saves. That's who she was reaching out to touch. That's what's happening here. And he turns, Jesus turns and looks at her and says, take heart. Take heart what? Who? Daughter. There's the word again. Who did Jairus come to seek help for? His daughter. 
Now in the midst of the hurry, of the push, the hustle and bustle to get there, Jesus stops to talk to this woman. Surely Jairus is a bit perturbed. Hurry, we got to get there. And then he hears that word again. Take heart, daughter. Do you see how the Messiah looks upon us? Do you think Jairus was opened up a little bit more to see how God looks at us? Certainly he knew how much he loved his daughter. Could you imagine caring for a person any more than in that moment that he did? And it's in this moment that he hears the Messiah call this woman daughter, call you daughter or son, child. And so they go on and Jesus tells the folks at Jairus' house, she's not, she's not dead, she's sleeping. They laugh, they mock. Jesus enters in. The one who arose now enters into the place of death. And just as the woman reached out to touch the fringe of his garment, now Jesus is the one who reaches out and takes her by the hand. And who rises this time? The text says she arose. We rise because Christ arose to come to be with us. We can receive healing in Him because He's the one who brings it. So as we reach to Jesus, as you do in your life, we can do that with confidence because He's the one who's conquered sin. Here's the one who's conquered death. Here's the one who brings healing. Here's the one who has hope. Here's the, here's the Word of God incarnate among us. Here's the one who bears the name of God. I will be who I will be. I will bring being to those whom I will bring being. And what does He call you? He calls you daughter. He calls you son. Adam. Or Jairus' daughter lying in captivity, spoke thus, I hear footsteps approaching. And as he spoke, the Lord entered, carrying in his right hand the victorious weapon of the cross. Filled with awe, Adam shouted to those in captivity, My Lord, be with you all. Adam shouted to those, and Christ answered, saying, And with your spirit, rise up from the dead. I am your God, and for your sake I have become your son. Rise up and let us depart from here, for you are in me and I am in you. We both are one indivisible person. Rise up, all of you, and let us depart from the realm of pain to that of joy. The kingdom which has been prepared for you from the beginning awaits you all. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.